You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome in, folks, here on Big Blue Views Audio Lineup. We're coming at you with a preview episode for the New York Giants' first matchup of the season, that being against the Denver Broncos, a later game in the scheduling of NFL games for Week 1. Folks, before we get into the preview, though, be sure to hit the subscribe button and also head to BigBlueView.com for more fantastic Giants content. So joining me today, I'm Joe DeLeon with Chris Flum and and Nick Filato. We're going to be talking about the Broncos. We're going to be looking at this team from a 50-foot view and analyzing some of the things that you need to be aware of as we will be doing every single week before every single Giants game. And I think the first thing I would love to lead in here with is something that we talked about a little bit on an earlier show during the preseason, and it really impacts, I think, how the Giants are preparing in this game. Teddy Bridgewater is the starting quarterback that was named during the end of the preseason. And it's very, very, very different going against Teddy Bridgewater than going against Drew Locke. And I remember when we did the show where we talked about it, one of the things that we indicated is that Teddy Bridgewater is going to be a lot less mistake prone. And do we is that the kind of sentiment that we're sticking with here is that they're going to have to prepare for a guy that's probably going to be a lot more conservative but is not necessarily going to kill them in this game? I think he's more conservative, but he he can make mistakes. He's somebody who threw, uh, I think, double-digit interceptions last year as the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. I think he can be baited into some mistakes. I don't I don't think uh, Patrick Graham is going to struggle necessarily to to put Teddy Bridgewater in those situations. I just don't think he's going to throw the ball as aggressively downfield as someone like Drew Locke, which usually leads to a higher probability of mistakes actually transpiring. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. And I just think he's just a better processor, has more experience than a player like Drew Locke. So that's kind of where where I stand with it. But I definitely still feel like mistakes could happen with Teddy Bridgewater, just uh, not as frequently as someone like Drew Locke. Yeah, pretty much any quarterback is going to make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I Even after playing football for about 107 years, Tom Brady still makes mistakes. But... Teddy Bridgewater is definitely a lot less mistake prone. Yeah, I don't want to say he's not aggressive because yeah, he will test a defense deep if the opportunity is there. But yeah, guys like Drew Locke, who yeah, his arm is so much of his identity as a passer, they want to throw the ball deep. Yeah, he wa- he's looking for any opportunity, any excuse he can find to you know just. He, heave those 40 yard rainbows and that is just not teddy bridgewater's game and that does lead him to be a a much safer quarterback for his offense 
I think it's interesting too, just looking at Bridgewater since he is the starter, his situation last season in Carolina and now his situation in Denver. Two really good offensive coaches in the sense of Pat Shermer as his offensive coordinator and Matt Rule as his head coach last year and two teams that have just a bunch of skilled position players around them. I mean, Carolina last year, he had DJ Moore, who I guess you could say wasn't necessarily maximized in that offense. Robbie Anderson, who had his games, and Curtis Samuel, who had, I guess you could say, a breakout type year last year in Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater as his quarterback. And now he's going over to Denver with all of these weapons. I'm wondering if he could actually take a step forward with players like KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy really kind of um, growing into their second year as NFL wide receivers. Noah Fon as a tight end. I mean, there's a lot of weapons to be concerned about. I'm wondering what Teddy Bridgewater and what kind of stats he'll put up in in this type of offense with Pat Shermer. Does a lot of, you know, half field, high, low reads, easier type of offense for quarterbacks to kind of maneuver. We've seen him have significant success in the NFL with the likes of Case Keenum. So I'm wondering what he's going to get at Bridgewater. Yeah, that that I think is an important point to bring up. You know, Pat Shermer runs a very quarterback-friendly offense. You're talking about the half, the half-field reads. He His whole philosophy as a coach is basically making the game as easy for the quarterback to process information quickly, distribute the ball quickly and safely and then get guys in position to make yards after the catch make plays you know that yeah for all of the failings pat Shermer had as the giants head coach we saw a lot of that in his offensive scheme with the giants and really teddy bridgewater is a really good quarterback for that scheme and i think it also does help the two know each other they have a prior relationship from minnesota yeah, you you get the perfect vanilla quarterback to run the, the perfectly vanilla offense, and you know we'll we'll see plenty plenty of runs on second and long. I'm sure with Javonta Williams and uh, and Melvin Gordon in this game. But in, in all seriousness, though, like you guys are already talking a little bit about the weapons, uh, you know that Teddy Bridgewater basically needs to be a little bit more successful than uh, you know he he's been in the past. This is a pretty good skill position group that he is going to be working alongside with the Denver Broncos, at least to start the season until, uh, you know, as long as he ends up starting this year. Uh, the receiver group is is very, very underrated with Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy. I mean, Tim Patrick had a bunch of really good games last year, and then a lot of people are talking up K.J. Hamler as a, as a really underrated player who can take the top off of a defense with some serious elite speed, and then not to mention the two running backs that I mentioned. Like, that's a pretty good group that they are going to be using out there. And I kind of look at this here as as long as Bridgewater gets the ball into the hands of these guys and as long as Shermer is at least decent at the play calling in this, you know, with play calling in this game, I, I, I think that this offense is a little bit more capable of producing than I think most people anticipate. The sense and feeling about the Broncos offense that people have is really tied to the fact that Drew Locke just wasn't getting it done, at least not consistently last year, where that offense could get no traction even with all of the all of the skill position players they've got and all the talent they've amassed over the last couple of years it, maybe teddy bridgewater is the keys to the ignition <laughs> maybe he is i mean last year what they went 5 and 11 they ranked 26th in passing yards with Drew Lock 24th in total yards 28th in points scored and i know Lock was in his second season but we saw Daniel Jones 
and second season, but first season in Pat Shermer's offense. We saw Daniel Jones in 2019 put up a lot better numbers than that in Pat Shermer's offense with not, I guess you could say since the since they did lose Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy was a rookie, KJ Hamler was a rookie, Noah Font was uh, injured a lot of last year. Maybe it's comparable to skilled uh, position players that Jones had in 2019 and Locke had in 2020. I mean, you had Saquon Barkley dealing with the the high ankle sprain for most of the year, but he broke out really strong down the stretch of the season. So I guess that's comparable. But we saw what looked like Daniel Jones do a little bit better than Drew Locke. Uh, the, their first years in Pat Shermer's offense, and I'm a, uh, but you also saw both of them turn the football over. I mean, that was a, definitely an issue that Jason Garrett wanted to correct with Daniel Jones, and we saw Locke turn the football over quite a bit last year as well, and make really boneheaded mistakes. I remember that one game against, I think it was the Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders, where I think he had like four or five turnovers. I mean, games like that against divisional opponents are just going to sink your chances if somebody like Teddy Bridgewater steps into the building and shows competent offensive play. Yeah, and I, I know our guy Mark Schofield was rooting for his guy Brett Ripian to get a crack at the job. Yeah, Mark loves Brett Ripian. I think the only person. The fact that you say Ripian, I say Ripian, and then Joe probably says another version of Ripian. that. Just kind of, yeah, just kind of points to how um, likely it would have been for Ripian to to take that job. I'm not even joking. I do. I did previously pronounce it Brett Ripian. I, I I have. I don't think anyone knows how to properly pronounce that name, but. You know that this is a pretty underrated offense, and I think it will eventually, as like we've highlighted here, it's going to come down to what Teddy Bridgewater does, and if he's rather not a hindrance, but just can can keep things afloat. I think that they can be more productive than people anticipate. And one of the thing that one of the things that comes into the equation here is I think how underrated this this offensive line is as well. Now it's not necessarily a, a top ten group. But they've got some quality starters. Garrett Bowles, who was a first-round pick and has been better over the past few years. Dalton Reisner is slotted at that left guard spot. Lloyd Cushenberry, who I think we were all obsessed with as a potential center pick for the Giants. Graham Glass now. And then you look at two of their backups, Natan Moody and then also Quinn Miners. Like I, I, those would be starters potentially on, on this Giants team, both of those guys, or at least one of them could be on this Giants team or other teams with bad interior groups. So that, that offensive line uh, is of decent quality and I think could be recognized more for that. Not to mention that the offensive line coach is Mike Munchak, who's a top two offensive line coach along with Bill Callahan in the league. And when Shermer brought him onto his staff in Denver, I mean, Garrett Bowles drafted in 2017. He was an older prospect. He's 29 years old now, drafted in the top 20. He looked like he was going to be a bust. Like everybody was labeling this kid a bust. Munchak comes in in 2020 and he cuts his pressure in half. He doesn't surrender one sack and he cuts his penalties by like a third or something. I think he was penalized like maybe four, three or four times last year. Like the year before it was double digits and the year before that was even higher. So like he really cleaned his game up. Thanks probably more than likely to the coaching of Mike Munchak. And then guys like Lloyd Cushenberry, I think he struggled last year in his rookie season. So he has to kind of grow into his own, but this entire offensive line, it's solid. I would say overall, I think the giants should still be able to generate pressure against guys like Bobby Massey who are probably going to start on the right side. The swing tackles Cam Fleming. We all know a decent amount about him. And I think Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence can win those interior matchups against Cushenberry, Dalton Reisner, and Graham Glasgow as well. So I think this is an interesting um, 
interesting matchup to definitely look for because I think the Giants don't struggle necessarily to to generate pressure. I think they have 40 sacks last year, which ranked in the top 12. And this is an offensive line that can be beat. But, uh, you know, it has to happen uh, between the uh, between the lines, man. So we'll see if that actually materializes on Sunday. Yeah, I'm also just looking to see how disciplined the Giants are in their run defense because, you know, we the two guys we haven't really talked about yet, we've mentioned them, but haven't really talked about it, Melvin Gordon and Javonta Williams, the Broncos running backs, those are, those are two of the better running runners in the NFL. And I feel comfortable saying that about the rookie because, well, I really like him. <laughs> but, you know, the, we saw the Giants, mostly their backups, but their starters a little bit have some issues with tackling in the preseason. And, you know, these are two guys, uh, I would say Williams more than Melvin Gordon, but they're two guys where you can't whiff. You can't go for arm tackles or shoulder checks. You have to wrap them up and bring them down. Otherwise, they're going to get yards after contact, and you can't have those, you can't be bleeding those sneaky yards like that. So as you can tell, folks, this this Broncos offense is capable of being productive if they are against the Giants, remains to be seen. And I think that one of the things that we can point to is the you know the defensive line, which we've highlighted. And the Giants certainly have the secondary to match up with those receivers. So that is where I think things are going to come down to in this game is how well they prepare to go against those skill position players. Coming up, we're going to talk about the defense for the Broncos, which is going to be the strongest unit on this team. And a big reason why this game could be a defensive battle. Before we do, though, we're just going to take a really short commercial break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I don't think it's too crazy to say here that both of these teams coming into this game are equipped to be very, very good defensively. And there's a strong possibility this ends up being a low-scoring, slugfest type game just based on some of the stuff that we've talked about here. And if we're evaluating this, this Broncos defense, it has to start with talking about their edge rushers as well as their defensive line. And the obvious ones that will be Talked about throughout the entirety of this game is Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, both highly drafted players, both highly talented players, and have been, when healthy, very, very disruptive when they're both on the field. And so the Giants get to face these guys week one when they're both available and ready to play. It is going to be a, a tough task for what's supposed to be Nate Solder and uh, Andrew Thomas for blocking both of these guys. Yeah, Chubb is actually dealing with a, I think, a slight ankle tweak right now. He didn't practice on Wednesday, but that could just be the Broncos managing his reps. So it's just something to pay attention to. Man, how dangerous is it, Chris? Von Miller and Bradley Chubb against Matt Parrott, Nate Solder, and Andrew Thomas. <laughs> I mean, that's something that that I'm I'm pretty concerned. But not to mention the return of Mike Purcell, who's one of their better nose tackles who can really anchor down the odd front defense that is run a lot by Vic Fangio. So this defense against this offensive line, this defensive front against this offensive line is something that um, I I have some, some, some concerns about for sure. 
Uh, yeah, we, I think we have to start with those two edge rushers. The last time those two guys were healthy together, you know, 2019, they had, I think, 26 and a half sacks between them. Uh, Chubb has been getting better. He had, what was it, seven and a half sacks just all on his own last year without a whole lot of help from elsewhere in the defense. Von Miller was missed the season with a dislocated tendon, which, ouch. And, you know, they had a completely different secondary. That's something we'll get to in a little bit. And not a whole hell of a lot of help from the offense. So if those two guys are healthy and clicking and, you know, we did get to see them in preseason, you know, Von Miller, he looked like he might have been a little bit rusty, but, you know, that dude has been so good for so long. I don't think you can plan on him being any less than his best. But then, you know, they, they also have, you know, uh, Shelby Harris, Deshaun Williams, uh, Draymond Jones in their front seven. You know, they've got a lot of guys who are really good at penetrating and creating disruption in the backfield. And, you know, that has to be something the Giants account for. Like, there, there are just no two ways about it. It's scary, too. I mean, it's um, it's definitely something that y- you think about this Denver Broncos front. You think about Bradley Chubb. You think about Von Miller. And then you think about the struggles that you saw. And I know it was preseason. But you think about the struggles that we saw from Andrew Thomas in the preseason. It's uh, That's definitely probably the main concern, I would say, if I had to circle one liability that the Giants have right now. It's the offensive line just in general. I mean, you add Billy Price and Ben Bredesen to possibly help the interior. They could realistically see snaps, you know, two and a half weeks removed from joining this squad just because we saw uh, Shane Lemieux partially torn patellar tendon. I mean, how much is this guy going to be able to play on that? And I'm wondering how much just uh, – I think the, the, the Giants going to come out and attempt to establish the run. They're going to attempt to – push around this this front and not allow Von Miller and Bradley Chubb to pin their ears back and rush on guys like, you know, uh, Andrew Thomas. But in the situations where they are, where it's third and long and they, they're not able to get the run going, the Giants are going to have to probably keep a tight end in or a running back in to chip, to, to help block, to slow down those pass rushers. We might see a game plan similar to what we saw Jason Garrett run against the Washington football team twice last year where it was a run-heavy approach and not a lot of deep drops, really a, just a lot of quick game, just get the football out of your hands to just mitigate the effect of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. And he did a pretty good job doing it. So let's hope that uh, if Jason Garrett replicates that, we can slow Von Miller and Bradley Chubb down. Yeah, I think just to to try to predict what Vic Fangio is going to do, and that is, you know, that might be a little bit of a fool's errand because he is definitely one of the best defensive minds in the NFL. Yeah, I think he's going to almost try to invite the run. Yeah, he uses a lot of, like, uh, almost like a 5-1 type alignment in his defensive fronts, you know, walking a will linebacker down to the line of scrimmage. But he, even though they didn't, they still kind of gave up a lot of yards on the ground last year. When their defense is healthy, they've got the guys up front where even though it looks like you're getting a light box, you really aren't. They're good at building that wall along the line of scrimmage. And, you know, you talk about Shane Lemieux with the, you know, partially torn patellar tendon you know how much is pain going to affect him yeah 
you can be a tough guy, but if your body doesn't want to work right, it's tough to will it. So this really is, I think, the matchup that could define the whole game. And another thing to add in here, too, as well with this this Broncos defense, uh, another aspect that is just so strong is their secondary. And we spent the whole offseason talking about how the Giants rebuilt their receiver group. They made all these moves to sign Kenny Galladay, to bring in Kadarius Toney. Uh, you've also got John Ross, who they signed in for agency. This is a completely new-look group from what we saw last year, and we have high expectations. But the Broncos, conversely, they did the same thing with their secondary. They made some moves to, to rebuild that group, and they have a pretty talented and underrated secondary that they're going to be trotting out there on the field. They drafted Patrick Sertain in the top 10. They also, you know, they have guys at key positions with Kyle Fuller and uh, Ronald Darby, as well as Justin Simmons. Caden Stearns, we know, is a very good athlete, not necessarily the, the best safety who plays on the, when he brings it all to the field but a a good athlete in general so this is a very very strong secondary that the Giants receivers are going to be facing off against yes the secondary with Patrick Sertain and I'm wondering how they're going to utilize Sertain just because I've heard rumblings that they're probably going to use Sertain in a role similar to uh to cover guys like Travis Kelsey and Darren Waller and the Giants aren't going to have Evan Ingram and I don't know if they would allocate Sertain in that manner even if Evan Ingram was 100% healthy so we may be looking at someone like Sertain covering Kenny Galladay who's coming off an injury looking pretty good from all this stuff that we're seeing in practice but other than Sertain this is going to be his first you know, action, you have Kyle Fuller, you have Ronald Darby, like you said. I mean, Kareem Jackson, Justin Jefferson, or Justin Simmons, that is a really, really solid back end with safety. And then you have Bryce Callahan, who a lot of people were talking about last year as an excellent slot type of cornerback who can probably cover Sterling Shepard. I think that could be another matchup to watch. Just from the top down, this defense is is very solid. The Giants offense has question marks, and that's probably why we 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 want to discuss the concern that we have, especially if they can't block up Von Miller and Bradley Chubb. So I'm interested to see how Jason Garrett uh, is going to use players like Kadarius Tony and how he's going to uh, operate just the receivers in general with the snap counts. I'm wondering how much Kadarius Tony is going to play, how much Saquon Barkley is going to play. I mean, there's just so many questions heading into this game on the implementation of these new offensive weapons that the Giants have. Yeah, like uh, how many tight ends are, are the Giants even going to have available? You know, we've got... Rudolph coming back from the foot injury, he seems like he's going to be yeah, available and active. Uh, he could be their leading tight end. Caden Smith you know, popped up on the injury report this week. We know Evan Ingram is dealing with a calf. You know, he was a long shot to play. I'm personally not counting on him suiting up. I think the Giants might be targeting uh, next week against Washington, You know, have him available for the divisional matchup there. Yeah against this secondary i think that could be another reason why the giants look to lean on their running game and maybe in the passing game go to quick passes to the running back maybe try to attack uh the two linebackers they have there josie jewel and uh baron browning you know the rookie yeah that could be really the only exploitable or easily exploitable weakness in this broncos defense yeah, and overall, though, this is going to be a really, really well-coached group. And uh, it, it's just a defensive-minded team because of Vic Fangio. So like, that's one thing that you just immediately have to factor in is that the, the priority on this roster seems to have been since Fangio took over is defense. So they're going to be a strong team. 
I have an interesting question I want to pose you guys before we uh, wrap with a different hypothetical, but which do you guys think has the better matchup? The Giants receivers against the Broncos secondary or the Broncos receivers against the Giants secondary? I'm going to just say within the context of the preseason, the overall health of the units and everything, I would say the Broncos receivers have a have the bit better matchup against the Giants secondary. Wow. You know, because we've got Adoree Jackson coming off the ankle injury. The Broncos receivers, their starting receivers, got m- more or a lot more work in the preseason, so they might be more ready to start quickly. And you know, the Giants. Kenny Galladay didn't get a whole lot of work. Uh, Kadarius Tony didn't. He he didn't hardly get any work this summer. So it's basically Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton as the guys who had the who have had the most work, the most experience, the the most the most recent football, I'll say. And you know, then we've got that rebuilt secondary. There's not a whole lot of tape on these guys going together. There is some tape on the Giants secondary. So that. I don't think either receiving core is going to have it easy, but the Broncos receivers might have it a l- just a fraction less hard. Yeah, I would. I tend to agree with everything you just said, Chris. I mean, just because you have a lot of, I don't want to say uncertainty with the Giants uh, coming back from injuries, but just a lot of guys who missed a solid amount of time, whereas it seems like other than Noah Fant, the tight end for the Broncos, the the skill position players for the Broncos have been pretty healthy through training camp. And Fant's looking like he's going to play. He's just dealing with a lower body injury at the moment. So I'm going to have to say that. And that's not a referendum whatsoever on the Giants secondary, who I still remain high on. Yeah, or or the Giants receivers for that matter. Or the Giants receivers, exactly. Within the context of this game, that's how that's how things shake out, at least in my eyes. I'm also wondering how Pat Shermer wants to utilize uh, Jerry Judy because he lined up about a third of the uh, slot snaps, or he lined up about a third of his snaps in the slot last year, and that's uh, that's something that I can see them trying to exploit if Darnay Holmes continues to kind of struggle a little bit, which could lead to Julian Love for placing Darnay Holmes. I mean, I think the, the chess match in this game is going to be interesting. And I also wonder how Shermer is going to use guys like KJ Hamler, who a really explosive, smaller type of player. I mean, you have Tim Patrick. I know his name isn't all that exciting, but it just seems like that guy produces every time he gets on the field and no one really ever talks about him. So then they, they got a, they got a plethora of weapons over there. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, bringing Jerry Judy up as a slot, you know, we saw Dallas with C.D. Lamb, him, you know, basically bursting onto the scene as a slot receiver. And I don't think anybody really looked at him as a slot receiver in the draft that year. So that I think is something to keep an eye on, especially as we're seeing teams moving their best receivers into the slot. You know, uh, even Mike Evans with the Buccaneers was getting snaps in the slot last year. And uh, that's just scary if you're a, a slot corner. So just a hypothetical question here to, to wrap us up and close us out. Uh, you know, of, of four guys on the Broncos roster, the ones that we've highlighted here, Jerry Judy, Bradley Chubb, Garrett Bowles, Patrick Sertan. Anyway, do we want to include Justin Simmons in this? Because you wrote that down in here, Chris. Do we want to include him or just the four guys mentioned? Yeah, I can go either okay. way. I, I, so we'll, 
it's hard to not include one of the t- one of the best safeties in the All right, NFL. Let's include Justin Simmons. Out of those players, who would we want on this Giants roster? If we could steal one of these guys to become a New York Giant, who would we want? And I, I'm just going to come out and say I'd rather have Bradley Chubb out of any of these guys because one thing that the Giants are still lacking, I think, is a, a little bit of juice as a pass rusher. I know, I know that we have high expectations for Aziz Ojolari, but man, if they had Bradley Chubb, that defense would be scary if you had a, a player of that caliber. So that's where I'm standing. I'm going with, with Bradley Chubb on this one. Oof, I mean, you can't knock that pick whatsoever. Either You can't knock any of these picks. I think they would all be really, really solid answers. But right now, man, I, I lean towards... I, I lean towards Garrett Bowles just... And I don't even think he's the best player out of these four. He actually might be the fourth best player. But you, you have to look at the Giants situation. I think the context of the offensive line and the question marks you have at right tackle and possibly left tackle if Andrew Thomas doesn't develop and clean up some of the mistakes that he's made. I still remain optimistic on Andrew Thomas, but it has to be shown to me at the same time. So I may have to lean Bowles just because I'm trying to see if we can salvage this season. Although I think Bowles is probably the fourth best prospect out of the four of these guys. Yeah, the, you know, I don't know... If- would Mike Munchak be a package deal with Garrett Bowles? Because in, in that case, it'd be a <laughs> in, in my hypothetical be a slam dunk. <laughs> in my hypothetical world, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, as, as long as we're hypotheticaling our hypotheticals, then sure, why not? Uh, I think there's a really interesting case to be made for any of these guys. You know, the two defensive backs. What could Patrick Graham do with? Patrick Sertan across from James Bradbury. You know, we were looking at at the Giants potentially drafting either Sertan or J.C. Horn, and all of the things, all of the options that could open up, or having Simmons back there with Xavier McKinney again. So many different options for coverages, blitz disguises, blitz schemes, and Bradley Chubb, like Joe mentioned. You know, having a guy who can be a an eight. Okay, maybe not an ace pass rusher, but you know, a real true every down edge who can, you know, play from a two point stance, play from a three point stance, slide inside and nickel downs. Really help that natural pass rush the Giants have lacked for a while. And then Jerry Judy, we just got done talking about him, you know, the ways in which he could be used, line him up at, you know, flank or across from Kenny Galladay or slide him into the into the slot in a four wide alignment and have him and Sterling Shepard in the slot, Kenny Galladay and either Kadarius Tony or Darius Slayton out, out wide, you know, there, that's a ton of different options, but I think just the two biggest impacts would be either Chubb or Bowles. And I don't know, flip a coin. <laughs> Hold on. I happen to have a penny right here. Let's see. <laughs> uh, I would have to go with with uh, Bradley Chubb. Came up tails. We'll have to go for your word on that because we don't <laughs> we don't have the, the visual proof of <laughs> of it landing on that. Oh, I'm honest <laughs> on these things. Why would I lie about flipping a penny? That's a fair point. <laughs> I, I think the uh, the penny flip is a good <laughs> is a good note to wrap up today's show on, uh, folks. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to hit the subscribe button. We're going to be coming at you live. Uh, be sure to catch us live <laughs> on Big Blue View's YouTube channel and then also uh, our post game pod as well. Talk to you soon, folks. Enjoy the rest of your week and catch us after the game.